Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, per usual, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Today I'm like a uh, 2025 second round pick. I'm not sure you need me, so you might as well just send me off to Oklahoma. <laughs> they want that. They want you, Josh. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, gentlemen, here to celebrate the return of the big, the beautiful Al Horford. Welcome back to Boston, Al. Big Al returns. Kemba Walker and a 16th pick go out for, uh, along with the 2025 second rounder that Josh referenced for Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second rounder. We've had a few days to let this settle in. Let's evaluate what we think of this move. Uh, Mike, let's start with you. So, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a solid, I don't know, my, my like gut grade, not, not that I'm the avid trade grader that someone like Kevin Pelton is, but was like, like it's solid B or B plus. Like it's a, it's a, it's a positive move for the Celtics. Um, You know, we've now talked, I think three or so episodes in a row about um, challenges related to Kemba's contract and challenges related to Kemba as a small point guard. So you know, I think at minimum, my opinion on whether we needed to move on from Kemba and change up the the structure of the team was pretty well established. So I'm glad that that was uh, the direction that the front office went. Um, I kind of rejected in principle people wondering aloud whether I've heard I've heard some reactions where people were wondering whether the Celtics should have waited longer to see if they could have gotten a better deal. Um, I mentioned my you know my kind of personal pie in the sky hope would have been somehow trading Kemba to the Knicks into cap space and creating a trade exception and getting like a solid role player. But I mean, Al Horford's better than anyone as a player we would have gotten. He's obviously, we know he's a good fit next to Tatum uh, and Jalen. He's, he's not like an elite, elite player, um, but he, he will fit. He will fit nicely he will continue to be a mentor for the young guys he's a stabilizing presence as everyone including brad said in a press conference earlier today um so i think it's a solid move and it gives the team more financial flexibility um and and brad stevens noted in that press conference how or he alluded to how making the trade during the this um basketball season while the playoffs were still ongoing means that the celtics come the the nba draft once that, the NBA draft concludes, we'll have kind of full flexibility in trading future picks, or at least, or maybe it's once this season ends, yeah. the the Celtics will have full flexibility in trading future picks, so they won't won't have to run into what is it the uh, Stepien rule? Is that that what it's called, where you can't trade uh, picks in consecutive years? Yep, correct. Um, and the, the, so that timeline will just be extended. Yeah, That's so the, the full flexibility he's referring to. So to to make a long answer short, <laughs> um, I'm I'm in favor of the move. I, I think it's a move that the Celtics had to make. Uh, it it won't be the only move. I still don't think they're a championship contender as currently constructed. Uh, but I think it it creates a lot more flexibility for the team. Yeah, I think that this move, it it has the feel of of kind of cleaning up a little bit of a mess to it. Um, it's either Danny admitting because he's still, let's be honest, probably involved in some of these decisions as an advisor, or Brad admitting that Danny was wrong about certain things, and and we kind of need to clean up the mess. Um, and this has a little bit of a deja vu to it in in that regard. You know, it kind of admits that we were wrong about Kemba. And now we needed to get rid of him and add a a, a 
mid-first round pick and what I think is a really deep draft at certain positions that we could use on the team. Um, and kind of signals that we were wrong about Al Horford in a weird way, right? Because we didn't want to pay the contract, but now we're going to trade for him. Um, you know, all of us were in agreement that we would, I think, take Horford for Kemba, you know, when compared to Porzingis and Kevin Love and all the other kind of obvious one-for-one -one big contract swaps that were available to the naked eye. Um, but this is kind of coming off of the heels of also being wrong about Gordon Hayward, unfortunately, with the injury and being wrong about Kyrie. And so it kind of has... I, it kind of leaves a weird taste in my mouth, I think. Um, but it's good to have Horford back. Uh, this is not the Al Horford we really want. You know, that's why we didn't offer him that contract um, three years ago. So, you know, this is a declining Horford who's been declining for a couple of seasons. Yes, he's fresh because he didn't play the second half of last year with Oklahoma City. Uh, but he's really going to do much for us. You know, that's it's a big contract that comes off the books earlier than Kemba. So that's great. Uh, but... You know, he's, he's probably going to be coming off the bench. So um, it does bring some leadership and defensive uh, know-how to the locker room. Um, so overall, I would agree with you, Mike. It's it's kind of a lateral move. Um, I'm still a little bit bitter about the first-round pick, to be honest. And I'm not that impressed with Moses Brown, the 7-2 kid that we got who, you know, had his best game against the Celtics. So it's kind of a little bit of fool's gold. Uh, when you got a, a 2020 game against us and then we, we trade for you because we think you're the best thing since sliced bread. You know, it's, he's, he's not that good of a player. He makes a ton of mistakes on both sides of the ball. Uh, but he's 21. He's young and um, he does have some length. Yeah, a, a couple uh, reactions to what you just said there. Josh, I'll start with the the last thing you said. I totally agree on Moses Brown. I think uh, Brown. I think he's uh, intriguing. You know, he's long, he's bouncy, right? Like that's nice. Uh, but he's also rail thin. Um, he's very raw. He's certainly like at the at the bottom of our depth chart. For those that haven't put it together, he also probably signals the end of the uh, Taco Fall era. In yeah. Boston, so um, I, and Luke um, Cornett um, likely, and, and yeah. yeah, hopefully Luke Cornett as well. Um, we can only have so many inflatable, uh, <laughs> wavy-armed <laughs> guys on our on our roster. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I also I don't think we. I, I, my understanding and and from some of the articles I've read is that we really just made included him for financial reasons more than than kind of any you know i think people have said he's like our 16th pick in the draft i i think that's no. a, a bad 16th pick right if if that's the pick we're making i did think of you josh when we gave up that pick and how all season long you were saying you like hope that we'd be a low playoff seed so that we could get a good mid-round pick uh, so I, uh, I'm not surprised to hear you you feel stung. I, as someone that does absolutely no uh, pre-draft scouting of, of prospects, had no emotional attachment to any potential pick and was just excited about the financial flexibility. Um, I agree with part of what you said on this cleaning up Dan a Danny Ainge mistake. I, I think the mistake all along was over... like. I think the Kyrie move was the right move. I think signing Gordon Hayward was the right move. I think signing Al in the first place obviously was the right move. Not re-signing him I thought was a fine decision. I just thought signing Kemba was an overreaction in the first place. I and I, and I honestly feel like this signals 
that Brad Stevens would have preferred that we went with Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown at the time instead of signing Kemba. That's my gut. That That's what I wanted at the time. I thought that was a defensive juggernaut lineup with real yeah. offensive versatility. And I'd never yeah. understood why we needed the additional primary ball dominant guy on the team. It made no sense to me then. I think, I think I've got the receipts. I think you'll back me up, Josh. Uh, yep. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, so to me, this, this signals that Brad was thinking the same thing. Um, uh, and I, 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 the one thing, Josh, I think you didn't hit on with Al. He's obviously, again, he's not as good, going to be as good as he was, you know, four years ago. But I think the thing that both Hayward and Al brought that goes so easily unnoticed, but then people complain about how the Celtics' offense looked like this past year, yeah. is just making the simple read quickly. Like Al just makes the easy path. He lets, he helps the offense flow. In a way that is easy to miss when it's happening, and and then easy to lament when it's not there. And Hayward did it as well. And I, you know, yeah. I thought it was the skill that both of them brought and bring that that just is vastly underappreciated. Um, and it really, you know, Brad Stevens again in the press conference earlier today highlighted how the players being brought in are going to be players that accentuate and help, you know, bring out the best in in the Jays in the in our wings. Yeah, the guys who, who on our team who make those quick reads now are just Al Horford, Marcus Smart, and Evan Fournier if we resign him. So, you know, it was just smart pretty much for, for a lot of last year until we got Fournier, and now we got a third guy. So we're slowly getting more high IQ offensive players on the roster. There's so many pieces to this that I, that I want to get to. Uh, let me first talk about how I'm viewing this from the Oklahoma City side of things. This To me, this is about the 16th pick for them. They took Horford from Philly knowing that he, they could get a first for him, and this 16th pick is a solid first. They did give up Moses Brown, which I'm assuming they felt uh, they had to do and would have loved to not do. I'm, a, I'm higher on Moses Brown than you guys are. I think the, uh, his contract is phenomenal. Um, you guys mentioned, and, and it's been said a number of times, that the games against us, uh, that uh, the, the 21 points and 23 rebounds in 32 minutes, uh, Tristan Thompson was out that game. A lot of it was against Rob Williams and, and Mo Wagner. And then he had a second game against the Celtics, 8.7 boards in 12 minutes. He only missed three shots combined in both games and got to the line 10 times combined. He really destroyed the Celtics. They couldn't handle it. Uh, and visually, he was dominant in the interior also. So, so that first game, the 21-23 game, was on March 27th. He was a two-way player. Guess what, what day they signed him to a, his current four-year deal? The next day. March 29th. <laughs> March 28th, the next day. Yep. Uh, it's a $6.8 million contract. Every year is unguaranteed. There's tremendous flexibility. And and the value is not just that he's this like seven two and a half, seven five wingspan, 9'5 standing reach guy uh, who produces, rebounds well, uh, rim runs hard, has some vertical uh, spacing. Uh, but, but the fact that he's on this small contract which yeah. you need when you're playing paying a, a number of players the max um so i think the celtics like that about him that he i think he's a, certainly a rotation player for us um i don't i disagree that he's at the end of our depth chart right now um i mean we, we have too many bigs which we'll get to but uh i i like moses brown more than it sounds like you guys do this trade for for um is gonna be i think we can fully evaluate this trade 
um, basically within the next year because Oklahoma City is going to trade Kemba Walker again and they're going to get value for him. Uh, they're going to get positive value. And it might actually look make Brad Stevens look bad because I think they're going to get a good deal. I agree. Uh, now, does that mean that we should have waited? No, not necessarily. I think one of the things that this tells us is that the Celtics needed to get this done now. They wanted that flexibility. Sometimes a team will make a move like this for the cap ramifications of what happens when the calendar year switches. That was not the case here. Uh, this is about being able to make other moves. Um, and and one of the things that this does is it opens up the possibility that the Celtics can have a max cap slot in 2022. Uh, and, and we can come back to the importance of that. Uh, but that's a huge piece here. We're, well, can I can I respond yeah. to that, Adam? I I think that's extremely unlikely. I don't know if you want to get into that now or later. Yeah, but let me, let me do it now. So let okay. me just so it, it's possible. It's a possibility here, and so it's it gives an option to the Celtics that they didn't previously have to be able to get a third star as a free agent. I'm sure people fans know about what the the Horford contract is if they decide to cut him, if he's not producing uh, his salary next season is only 14 and a half million instead of the 26 and a half. Unless we make the finals this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll take that. Okay, so <laughs> so if the Celtics wanted, they could have Tatum and Brown on contract, a bunch of roster holds, and here is the list of potential free agents after next year. Steph Curry, Chris Paul has a player option this year. Kevin Durant has a player option next year. Russell Westbrook has one. James Harden, John Wall, Jimmy Butler, Kemba also. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has a player option this year. Bradley Beal has a player option. Zach Levine, Julius Randle, many, many others. Terry Rozier, Aaron Gordon. Uh, it's a phenomenal free agent market. Now, I know other teams are gearing up for this. Will the Celtics do it? I doubt it. I would not put money on that, but it's an option they have. And so one of the things fans should be looking at is what happens this offseason in terms of Evan Fournier. If the Celtics sign him to a long deal for big money, that is going to restrict what they're able to do. That will basically take this idea off the table unless they trade him into somebody else's cap space, uh, basically for a, a trade exception. Uh, but it's an option. And I think that, that given where this team is at, Mike, you said you don't think they're – uh, a championship team is currently constructed. They need another star. And uh, I, I emphasize Bradley Beal for reasons fans know that, that Tatum and, and him grew up together. He's going to be a free agent. That's somebody I could really see them going after here. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and look, they're going to be hanging out in Tokyo together for the Olympics, right? Tatum's on Team USA with uh, actually an increasingly impressive cohort of uh, NBA players that, that are assembling with Durant and Harden, both indicating that they're committed now. Um, but to me, I mean, what we would we would basically have to renounce. We would have to not extend Smart. We'd have to renounce every prospective free agent like you said we'd have to not re-sign uh, Fournier beyond a one-year deal and we'd have to waive Horford I think we'd have three or four guys under we'd have basically the Jalen Jalen and Jason and Neesmith and um, Langford under contract next season something like that uh, to open up the max slot and Brown I, I think no I said I said and, Jaylen. and yeah, Moses yeah. Brown now too Oh, and, Mo, and Mo, well, Moses is non-guaranteed, so oh, we, we okay. could waive him if we needed the space. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely uh, for a number of reasons. I think I think the team will want to try to be more competitive this year. I also think the team is agrees that we need to uh, get a star, and the team is going to look at probably f- my my guess would be Fournier's contract, which will be uh, the market is shaping up to be a bit more favorable. So maybe we'll get something in the fifteen to seventeen million a year, yeah, which would be great instead of like eighteen to twenty, which would yeah, be amazing. Wow. Uh, maybe it's even as lo- maybe it's even lower, but probably not so then we and then like if we extend marcus smart and i want to get back to marcus smart in a second um and get him in like a favorable you know 16 to 18 million a year type of range or around the same as fournier then we'd have a couple of contracts that we could put into a deal for a star as with with future picks which is why i think brad was emphasizing those and you know young prospects like neesmith and and langford and I think that's that's going to be the structure, or Robert Williams. That's going to be the structure that we're going to try to pitch for a new star. That that to me seems like a much more likely path we are going to pursue than um, than trying to kind of really clear the coffers and uh, and and sign a, a new max free agent. Outright. So you've got a trade option and a free agent option, right? And that and that that ultimately boils down to exactly what this trade was about which is creating flexibility and pathways to get to increasing the overall talent level and the, the high level talent on this team. And before that trade of Kemba, we had no pathways for the next couple of years. Okay. A couple of other things with this trade to me. Well, actually, let me first talk about Kemba Walker here. I don't want to, and then we can move on from him unless you guys have other thoughts about his time in Boston. Um, there was this article a couple of weeks ago that came out that Kemba was unhappy with the Celtics because he didn't feel wanted by the team. And that resulted from trade rumors at last season, the season before this year's uh, trade deadline. And I think it's a bit naive. Kemba spent his whole career in Charlotte with one team and then came to Boston basically as a free agent. Technically, he was traded, but in effect, he was a free agent choosing where he wanted to go. And he certainly felt like we wanted him then. And we did. And I understand where he's coming from and feeling like the team was trying to trade him. They're not actually interested in him. Now he's on a worse team. He's on a developing team that is still in asset acquisition mode instead of contention. And he doesn't really have, I I don't know how much control Kemba has over his situation and where he goes. That's sort of up to Sam Presti and, and how well Sam wants to work with players. It seems like he did that well with Al, getting him to a place that purportedly Al is very excited about. Brad Stevens said that and multiple Paul. times. And, and Chris, Chris Paul, Paul. That's right. As well. yeah. But um, what happens when you sign a max contract as a free agent, basically as Kemba did, and then you don't live up to it, and I'm not blaming his lack of production on him necessarily. He dealt with injuries. But the reality is that uh, a team is going to try and trade you. And, and I just... I don't know whether he's happy with this deal or not, but if he's unhappy, it's kind of like this is what happens. This is the situation. I, I, I think Kemba had a better situation here in Boston than he does currently, uh, being in Oklahoma City for however long he is. And then the Celtics, they, they got the best available deal right now for Kemba. So the idea that Oklahoma City is going to have all these different teams – to trade Kemba to who will give up a first round pick. I don't know that that's true. Point guard is is the most jam-packed position in in the NBA. It's it's and and Kemba has some defensive deficiencies purely because of his height and his injury history is is not exciting. 
And uh, I would certainly expect him to pick up his option next year. So, I mean, if he really hates his situation, then he should turn down the option and become a free agent after this year. But that's not going to happen. That was harsh, Adam. That was very harsh. I, I mean, I look, I think, I think it's very possible that Kemba was brought in by Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens was asked to coach someone that he maybe didn't really want to coach given the the construct and the vision that Stevens has as a, a quote-unquote, this great quote-unquote basketball mind. And I say the quote-unquote just because people keep referring to him as a, like including Ainge in the press conference was like, he's a great basketball mind, yada, yada, yada. Um, I just find it funny. But I think Kemba was brought in to be, again, a primary a primary ball handler, a primary, you know, the the primary guy on offense. And Tatum's ascension was so rapid that that never really materialized or made sense. I think it's a little bit similar to um, how Hayward was brought in to be the... Hayward was arguably the best player of yeah. the Kyrie Hayward Al Horford triumvirate. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately gets injured. Um, and then all of a sudden, Jalen and Jason ascend and then his role is in question and he's like a six man for the second half of that year the next year or, or whatever it was um and and so you know it's a it's a combination I, there's no question that this was the right move for the celtics to make but i also think kemba signed up for something different than what he got uh and then he also underperformed and got injured right so it was just a confluence of things that made it a bad fit so I don't, I don't, if, if Kemba felt like he wanted out and didn't like the situation, I mean, that makes sense to me, um, that, that he would feel that way. But the reality is he also wasn't the best fit for us, um, at this point in time. And, and it was, it was in our, in the Celtics best interest or collective interest to, to move on from him. I feel like you could say a, a number of similar things about Al Horford signing with Philadelphia. He took the most money. And one of the things that happens is, uh, I mean, he was walking into a situation where you, you just said you think the team assumed that they were going to do certain things that didn't actually fit for the player. Well, that was exactly the Horford situation in Philly. And then he gets traded to Oklahoma City. He has to sit out a whole year. I mean, do you do you think Al Horford would have, uh, in hindsight, signed with the Celtics for less money than taking the uh, Philly offer? He's 35 now, entering his year 35 season. No, knowing what he knows yeah. now? Um, maybe. I mean, it, you know, as you alluded to, by all accounts, he's extremely excited. Um, our, our Celtics, Celtics uh, blog, uh, podcast channel, uh, you know, uh, uh, shared host uh, Adam Adam Taylor on on Celtics Pod had Anna Horford on on the Monday podcast and she was revealing how delighted Al Horford is and um how she and him were facetiming and and giddy and excited about uh, Al's return to Boston Stevens alluded to it a couple of times in his uh press conference so um that's his sister not his wife everyone Anna Horford that that is Anna Horford is Al Horford's younger sister um, so yeah, I mean, it's in, it, entirely possible that Al, if he knew what he knew now, would, would have made a different decision, but 
you know, at the same time, it's, I think, hard for anyone to turn down that amount of money. <laughs> unless, you know, unless you're like the super duper duper stars when you know you're just going to make it up in endorsements anyways. It's going to be interesting, the impact that this has on the Celtics on the floor. Uh, I, I I mean, so Al Horford, he's entering his year 35 season. Uh, and I, I think you're right, Mike. He's, he's going to make a lot of, he's going to make the offense easier for Tatum and Brown. And Stevens mentioned that in his press conference that he's trying to construct all of the moves are now uh, to surround Tatum and Brown with the right talent. Um, there was some question about how Kemba fit with that. You spoke about that, Mike. Horford, um, he's also going to make this team better on defense, and the team really struggled this year compared to other Brad Stevens years on defense. Um, and I think initially I felt like once again, this team got worse talent-wise, but increases flexibility in important ways. I actually wonder whether – I actually think they're, they're going to be better defensively. Um, it's unclear what the lineups are going to be, but Horford's time on the floor is going to dramatically improve this team on defense. It's going to give them another voice in the locker room to support Marcus Smart in, I think, really important ways. We're going to – we can talk more about that. Uh, Mike, how do you see this impacting them on, on the floor? Yeah, I mean, I – I think the team just fits it, it, just this one move. I think makes the team make a little bit more sense, not like infinitely yeah. more sense, but I, I think, you know, Al Horford can anchor a defense in a way that we, you know, I, I mean, Tice kind of was able to do it. He had kind of evolved into that, but he's still not, he's not as Tice is not as strong uh, as Horford. Right. And we've seen that in matchups against um, Embiid in particular, mm -hmm. Uh, Horford's not going to be as mobile as he once was, and that's going to be a concern and something we'll need to see how he does. And, and an increasing, you know, we just watched uh, Rudy Gobert get played off the, the the court in the second round of the, or he didn't get played off the court, but the Jazz got played out of the playoffs um, because of Gobert's mobility limitations and, and some of the associated limitations defensively of the other players on that team by a smaller, you know, athletic uh, Clippers roster can can um can Horford hang with with those types of teams we'll see I, I don't know the answer to that uh but he he's probably still a better defensive option than Kemba against those types yeah. of teams um and he he doesn't need the ball on offense in his hands to be productive in fact he can be extremely productive and effective for the offense by setting screens and popping out to the mm -hmm. three-point line and that creates you know that will create huge headaches um, for defenses. And, you know, that, that was like the antidote to Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel better about our chances against the 76ers today than I did um, a week ago before this trade in the, in a playoff series next year. So uh, I think, I think our team makes more sense, a bit more sense now. And I also think we're very clearly going to make some additional moves. Um, yeah. Can we talk about the big man? <laughs> I, yes, uh, but, and uh, can I plant one seed for something else to talk about yeah. um, as well? Uh, but then we can go back to the big. But so one of the one of the things I, I want I want us to talk talk on is I found it very interesting in Stevens' press conference what he didn't say. He made a point to mention that he's been in conversation with Jalen and Jason uh, quite a bit mm -hmm. in the in the recent weeks. Uh, I didn't see anything about him mentioning Marcus Smart, mm -hmm. one way or the other. 
And so I think I think that's going to be something interesting to watch. Well, but let's come back to yes. Let's let's, let's talk about no, the no, no, bigs. Let, let's talk no, about let me the bigs. Keep going on that because because there was this great article uh, by Jared Weiss in the Athletic uh, with some really good inside information about Brad Stevens, uh, his role in the locker room, uh, some scuttlebutt, um, and if you haven't read that, fans, go go check that out. Jared Weiss in the Athletic. One of the things that it talked about was that players felt like. Uh, Brad was favoring certain stars, and basically it was Marcus Smart. That Marcus is is kind of has a fiery way of trying to get um, other guys to to play better defense um, and and to play harder. And that um, Brad got on Kemba Walker more disproportionately, uh, favored Marcus Smart, and um, in some ways didn't hold uh, Brown and Tatum accountable. Um, when you talk about Brad not including Marcus Smart, I mean, in some sense, I wonder if that's related to trying to build better relationships in a new role uh, with Tatum and Brown and not necessarily an indicator that Smart is out in, in whatever way or that they may trade him or that sort of a thing. Um, he's, it sounds like he's been favoring Smart. And I think one of the things that one of the reasons they got Horford, as I mentioned earlier, was to kind of balance out the locker room to add another veteran presence, to add somebody that understands defense. Um, so with both Smart and Horford, you have Horford being a more low key, uh, relaxed veteran presence that Tatum and Brown get along really well with. They really respect him. And then you got Smart as the firebrand pushing people. That that's a nice balance. I, th- I actually think and and. Uh, Cedric Maxwell said this also. You need another guy that's a little fiery that can get on people. I think they expected Tristan Thompson to be that. I don't. I can't. I can't say whether he was or not. But I, they need more of that. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think they thought Tristan Thompson was going to be more of the firebrand, uh, and who knows whether or not he was. But I, I agree. And as and in my own workplace, I am probably a bit of that firebrand or one of the people that fills that role, and 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 well complimented by. Uh, more senior uh, leadership that that maintains a, a Al Horford like calm, um, and it's a I think a, a good yin and yang uh, for <laughs> for team dynamic. So I can see how it would play out within the Celtics uh, the, the Celtics locker room as well, uh, and be quite conducive. Um, but and and really more to the point, how Al's presence could be really stabilizing and healthy for for young players to to have. Um, and just kind of provides a, an inherent structure um, uh, that that lets kind of Tatum and, and Jalen grow and get kind of clarity in, in more intense or charged moments. Um, As... I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know about with smart. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I quite agree or I don't know that I agree or disagree with your assessment. I just don't know. I think I think it is interesting that he wasn't kind of bundled in. I think that to me, that reads a bit more as a signal that, and it's not a surprising signal that really the team is going to be built around Jalen and Jason. Um, And whether or not that includes Marcus smart, I think remains a bit of an open question. Mm -hmm. I think by all accounts, Danny Ainge and Brad both love Marcus smart. I don't think there's like an active or intense desire to move on from him at all. Um, but I think there's also a reality that if we are looking to add another star, if we go the trade route, Marcus Smart is almost certainly going to be included 
in that trade. Yeah. Right? Like, it would be Marcus Smart, again, Marcus Smart and Fournier, and take your pick of young guys and picks. Um, so, so I think there's an acknowledgement of that reality at some level. And I think, I think there's a reason that my guess is that G, the Jays are most involved in decisions about the new coach. Um, and they were the ones that were probably most consulted or, or, or spoken with about this trade and the lead up and the aftermath. Uh, but that's speculative. Jared Weiss ends the article the Celtics have more issues to solve than just putting the right pieces around their best players, Tatum and Brown. They need to rebuild a culture that will keep their players excited to be a part of the Celtics. And I'm assuming he's re- referring to Tatum and Brown when he says keep their players excited to be a part of the Celtics. Josh, when you stated earlier that you you feel like there's this problem that the Celtics are trying to resolve, I, I wasn't quite clear on what you meant, but this is the kind of thing that I thought of the things that Jared Weiss was talking about in this article. Yeah, I think the Weiss article gives some foe into the locker room in that regard. But it's, it's more of just like succession of Danny Ainge being wrong in, in a lot of recent ways. Grant Williams, he was wrong about him. Tristan Thompson, he was wrong about him. And so it's like there's many, many examples. Um, I'm holding my you, back. Huh? You're holding my back. <laughs> I'm holding back. my back. I, uh, I, I I did everything I could not to go off mute and say take that back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike is still on. Took, all, took all of my willpower. Yeah, he's a supporter so, still. And so I'm and I'm kind of looking at Marcus Smart as being like the guy to keep continuity and keep that kind of culture alive. I don't think if you get rid of Marcus Smart, you're doing a good service to the culture. Uh, and Agreed. I don't think that you're going to keep uh, Tatum and Brown around if you if you give up Marcus Smart. Um, I, I, and I really believe that. So, in my view. Even if it's for like Bradley Beal, yeah. I mean, I I just don't see. I think that that's unlikely, and so I'm looking at this from a more realistic perspective. Of you're giving up Kemba so that you get future flexibility. Maybe that's for Brad Beal, but whoever it is potentially for, if you're lucky, that would be next season during the trade deadline or the following off season. I don't see you getting a, a big fish like that this off season. So I see this as like, Oh, I agree with future that. flexibility. Right. And so I'm looking at this like, okay, we're keeping smart. We're key. You know, are we going to keep Tristan Thompson or do we try to trade Tristan Thompson for somebody else? Like what are the next moves that we would make with this? Do we want to go after Kyle Anderson with like the mid-level exception? If we have that or with Tristan Thompson actually. or with Tristan Thompson. Um, yeah. So the, the, the trade there because you know when i look at giving up the 16th pick uh, i had a whole article ready to go for celtics block about all the six nine six eight perimeter length players available at that pick potentially um starting with like a jalen johnson um you know there's just a lot of there's greg brown who's got a ton of potential jeremiah robinson earl like this is just a really deep draft for six nine perimeter guys who can defend the three-point line and the perimeter, but also do something on offense that, uh, whether it's like handle the ball like a guard and, and facilitate a little bit or shoot the three a little bit like a Trey Murphy. Um, there's just a ton of dudes at this in this draft. It's a really deep draft. And so I'm looking at, if you're building around Tatum and Brown and Smart, you need another point guard and you need a guy who's who can kind of move Tatum and Brown down a position so they don't have to play the and and, uh, and someone who can also guard the perimeter so you can play alongside uh, any center that we have, right? And I don't see Horford as, as being one of those guys who can play along another center. He is a, 
I'm not looking forward to well, being Well, St- Stevens alluded to yeah. that being an option, which is the one thing about the conference press conference that really worried me. Um, cause I agree with you, Josh, I don't, I don't see a Horford Thompson or a Horford Robert Williams pairing as, um, a good yeah, idea. Please no, please. Can <laughs> and, we put, and that was the whole issue sure, with sure. We Horford don't have to and get Philly, right? Can we please yeah. play Horford at the five? It, that's the value there. Uh, and him and Robert Williams makes a lot of sense, but I think that we, we have too many bigs now. Tristan Thompson, I would say is likely to be moved or maybe they see some value for Robert Williams and, uh, Maybe his agent wants a lot more money in a contract extension um, than they think he's worth. Uh, we mentioned Taco Fall is likely out. Luke Cornett, probably, unless there's another move. Um, if you move Thompson, you don't necessarily have to get rid of Cornett. But... Agreed. And assumedly, you can get him back for cheap. So can I toss out a couple of ideas if we did move on from Thompson? And I reluctantly accepted that uh, Thompson would never leave up, live up to the dream that I had for him here. Mike, I just, I, I'm holding space for you if you need to weep. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I'm okay. I'm, I think I can hold it together uh, for, for this uh, bit. But um, so I alluded to one, and Josh, you had you had mentioned in a text thread uh, that one of one of the guys, that, and you just mentioned him now, uh, that you're interested in is Kyle Anderson. I like that fit a lot. Um, Kyle Anderson makes nine point five million, or or this, or he made nine point five million this year. It'll be a little bit more next year, but it it matches uh, with Tristan Thompson. Um, they can be traded one for one. I I don't know exactly. Uh, whether Memphis would have interest in moving on from Kyle Anderson. He's been a very good player for them. Yeah. Uh, they obviously did quite well. So he's, um, they arguably uh, would be interested in having a better backup center, though they do have Xavier Tillman, who, who performed quite well. And they've got Jonas Valanciunas, who's uh, very, very good. Um, so the fit there is a bit uncertain. Um what about, I, I did have a question for you on the Grizzlies is what if we went after someone and, and this is an ideal from a salary perspective, but what if we did something like Tristan Thompson and let's say Carson Edwards for salary match purposes. And so Carson Edwards is no longer on our team um, for Justice <laughs> Winslow. Like, would you have any What's... interest in, in that? No, I'd rather have Tristan in the Thompson. Fort... You throwing in the four first round draft picks that Ainge wanted to trade initially? No, we're we're holding on to those still now. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even has he played in the league? Has, has he been? He he played toward the very end of the the of last season for for Memphis. He was he had a per, which is by far not the most useful stats, but it does tell whether someone is like offensively useful. Uh, he had a per of six point three, which is very bad. Fifteen is average. Um. So he is, let's just say Ainge lucked out by that trade not going through uh, based on Winslow's actual NBA career. Um, But he certainly, from a defensive standpoint, can play next to Jalen and Jason. And if you had a lineup of like Horford or Robert Williams with Winslow, Jalen, Jason, and Marcus Smart, that is like an elite, elite, elite defensive lineup. So that it intrigues me a little bit. I'm not super high on it, but I did want to kind of toss it out and get your reactions. Yeah, we. I mean, I have no idea about Jay, about Winslow. 
That's one you should have saved uh, and left off the pod. <laughs> Winslow's <laughs> washed up. He's he's not going to help us in any way. I don't even think defensively he's someone who just naming him along with our other guys. Like, what do you think? I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't want any part of Justice Winslow. By low, by low. But um, I think you're right. I think you're right about Kyle Anderson. You know, he started with uh, Memphis in their play-in games and playoff games, and you know, he's. I don't see why they're going to get rid of him. He's got a good contract too. It doesn't sound like Winslow is a rotation player right now, and I would hope to get one for uh, Tristan Thompson. Throwing Carson Edwards would hopefully not reduce value return value that much. So the the other trade I, I thought might be feasible, and the other team that I could see possibly wanting an upgrade at backup center, which is a little ironic to say because they're currently in the Western Conference Finals, uh, would be the Phoenix Suns. So Aiden has come on. He's a legit very strong potential all-star starting center. Uh, but right now their backup bigs are Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric. Um, so if, if Phoenix going into the next season wanted to have another veteran that could be a solid and, and kind of sturdier backup center, they could get Tristan Thompson. We would not take Saric. I, I don't think he would be what we're looking for. It, and, and he has three years or two years after this one remaining on his contract. So probably not the flexibility we'd want. We could potentially move him to a third team like Oklahoma city and maybe get like Phoenix's um, or, or someone's like late pick uh, to, to kind of round out the deal and, and drop Thompson, which obviously wouldn't help our uh, roster in the immediate term, but it would, um, help our, our cap flexibility and, and even give us the potential to get under the tax if that became a priority for us this season. Sarich, nice. I mean, I've always liked Sarich. I, I, he's he's somebody that I would rather have than Tristan Thompson. I think he fits our team better, but it's still more logjam at the big. Yeah, I would be okay with Sarich. Uh, you know, he, he's almost repetitive with Jabari Parker being a guy who's just useful on offense. Yeah, we don't want to duplicate Jabari because he certainly has oh a roster God. spot for next Good year. <laughs> I try to, I try to pretend we don't have Jabari as well. Um, yeah, he's not coming back, y'all. I think he is. He's got one more year. No, he is. He's what? he's on the roster for one he more season. A two-year deal. He sure did. Yeah, With get, a player option. Uh, I believe it was just two guaranteed years at low money. Yeah, two-year deal. What about moving? Would you rather move Thompson for like a draft pick just to clear cal- salary? space or leave keep him on the team this year if those were your two choices if we can get a first rounder i would love that like a late first first round sure i'd love that i'd do that what about you adam i would do that for a future future one for sure and jabari parker's year is not guaranteed next year it's partially guaranteed moving on from the the hypotheticals with tristan thompson here do you what are there any specific moves that you're hoping the team makes, whether it, it's regarding Fournier or moving, you know, moving any other players? Or t- Josh, you alluded to kind of getting a, a point guard and another a wing defender. Do you have any individuals in mind beyond Kyle Anderson? There's not a whole lot in in the coffers these days. I think that once the draft comes and we start seeing some player movement, then other players will start to become more available based on the movement that we see. Um, I don't have any other names right now. I could list off a ton of guys from the draft, but uh, this isn't really the draft-focused pod right now. Yeah, not yet, not yet. Um, I So let me take a more general approach to answering that question. Uh, 
I found this move really interesting and I'm really curious about what you guys think uh, uh, from the perspective of a coach as the president of basketball operations. So uh, the things that we typically see when a coach is also the GM, and it's not the case here, uh, we see them uh, preferring veterans. We see them trading, undervaluing draft picks, not wanting to coach rookies. Uh, we see them loving guys that they that played well against them because they just don't have time to scout. And this trade <laughs> hits all of those. Brad trades away a point guard. I mean, a point guard, a, a first round draft pick. He um, gets a guy that he knows and loves, who's a, a really good veteran presence on this team. He gets a guy like Moses Brown, who played phenomenally well against him. It's got all of the hallmarks of a coach in the front office making those moves. Now, I actually think that's okay in this case because we talked about it all last offseason. This team needed to be older. They're too young. They've got too many young players on this team, too many recent draft picks, and you're just not going to win with those players. Uh, so I actually think this team needed to get older. They needed to get more mature. I'm okay trading away the first-round pick. Um, the Moses Brown thing, TBD. We will see what happens with that. So I, I actually expect Brad Stevens to clean up the roster a little bit to, to fill the spots with players who, if he were the coach, he would actually feel like have rotation minutes. Apparently, Brad Stevens was most upset out of anybody, including the fan base, about not having backup wings who had more than a year or two of experience. He, there was nobody for him to play. And that's why Shemi Ojale got so much run. And that's why Jeff T got run in the beginning of the year. So I, I would expect him to, to get rid of guys like Carson Edwards, um, to possibly get rid of a guy like Grant Williams. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Mike, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the second part of what you said. Yes, it does hit all of those kind of markers of like a coach tran transitioning to the front office. But, but I think it really speaks to what Josh was alluding to earlier about kind of some of the mess uh, that Danny Ainge made. And we talked about this uh, a bunch over the past year. Um, but, you know, Danny, Danny Ainge blundered by actually being forced to make all of the picks for all of the draft picks that he accumulated. And we had 10 players on our roster that were our own picks, which was the most in the league last year. Um, there were some teams with like maybe one or two with nine, but for the most part that like far exceeds what is, what teams normally have. And it, you know, uh, as an aside, when I look at what OKC is doing, I'm wondering if they're going to fall into the same trap that the Celtics fell into, which is accumulating too many picks and, and failing to get off of them. Uh, but I think Danny Ainge, you know, I, I think this was Stevens also saying, you know, it, there, there is such thing as having too many young players to the point where it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the team's performance. It doesn't serve, serve the development of the young players. And it's an acknowledgement that sometimes less is more from that perspective and you do have to balance it out. So um, I, I think it's a bit of a course correction. Uh, and and I, I would, you know, I just kind of completely don't share your thought, Josh, on I, even when you were talking about like, how promising all of these players were. All I could think of was, thank goodness we do not have to talk about the potential of another young player hmm. like on this roster because yeah. that's just the last thing 
Like it just doesn't serve anyone on this team the way this team is con- it's structured. If if that was the only per- young player on our team, then it's exciting and you put them into like a team of veterans so that they kind of know where they fit and can really focus on their growth. Great. But if everyone's a young player trying to figure out their role and and how they can thrive in the NBA at the same time, that just doesn't work. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see uh, if we do move off of. Grant Williams and, and Carson Edwards. I, I can't imagine there's a particularly robust market for either of them, um, but it would be it would be nice for our for us to be able to kind of get off their money, relatively limited as it might be. Um, I'm curious to see how intent uh, ownership demonstrates themselves to be to avoid paying any luxury tax at all. Um, yeah. You know, I I could see why they might pay some luxury tax, but, you know, when you pay luxury tax, you start that three and four years repeater tax countdown. And as I said, I don't think this is a championship team. If I were If I were the general manager of a team I didn't believe to be championship caliber yet, I would I would try to keep that clock from starting. Uh, if i would I would do everything I could to avoid that. So, like you said, Adam, I would I would probably be looking to move Tristan Thompson for a future first or early second, um, and and so that I could renegotiate or negotiate a deal with Fournier and uh, that that comes in and that like fifteen seventeen million per year for three years and gets us under the tax. Um, you know, we will have the tax. We we would I would potentially then have the full MLE if we did that, but we wouldn't likely use it or we could do a non whatever there are lots of options from there but um so i'm curious to see uh the direction we take on that on that front as well i think i think there's a lot of interesting decisions still to come over the course of this offseason one of the interesting implications of uh the way the season ran last year and this year due to the pandemic is that teams did not make as much money and the Celtics um, ownership group has certainly shown some indications that they may not be willing to pay as much uh, to pay at luxury tax uh, for a team that isn't a championship contender. They have always said they would. I believe that, that they mean that when they say that. They certainly did in 2008 and after. Um, I would expect that they would do it again. However, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, so what do I see them doing? I think they will resign Evan Fournier. I think they trade Thompson either, like you said, Mike, for a pick or for, uh, a rotation wing or guard, not, not a tiny guard, but someone who can play up a little bit to the two or, or higher. Um, I think that the Luke Cornette, uh, roster spot opens up, Semi Ojale opens up, Carson Edwards, hopefully they can get off of him. Um, I don't see Jabari Parker back, Taco Fall and Tremont Wanderers. I don't see them back either. They may be invited to training camp depending on whether they get offers elsewhere. But unless they changed the rules, two-way players can only be on that two-way contract for two years. And this would be the second for both of them. So they would either need to find another team on a two-way contract or get an actual NBA contract. I don't see that happening with the Celtics. I hope not for Tremont. And I don't see Taco as being good enough to warrant a spot if you have Moses Brown uh, Al Horford and um, Robert Williams. So, a year older, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, I think are good things for this team. 
Uh, so I don't know that the team needs to do a whole lot. It might just be a, a somewhat simple offseason maintaining flexibility. Uh, I would be really surprised if they had some massive other move. But uh, we'll see what happens here. Uh, can, I, can I ask one quick, simple question for both of you? Uh, yeah. To, to bring it to wrap this up. Um, who do you think, assuming we keep, let, let's say we keep all of the current centers that we have, who, who would you make the starter? Robert Williams, if he's healthy. Robert Williams, the third. You, would you start him, Mike? You don't have I, an answer. I don't have an answer. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really torn between him and Horford. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I, much like I argued with Thompson last year and Tice, I think we would be better with Horford on the court, at least on day one. I do too. Get ready to be a little underwhelmed by Al Horford at age 35 with his defensive mobility, with his three-point shooting, even his assist rate will drop. Um, he's he's going to be talking on the court on the defensive end, and that's going to be great for us. Uh, but he's not necessarily going to be backing it up like he used to. And remember, that was the issue that fans had with him back in the day, too, is you know he's only averaging 13 points a game or he's only averaging seven rebounds a game. He's not really like pulling his weight for his contract or putting up the stats. And that's going to be, uh, you know, while it wasn't necessarily true because he was doing a lot of little things before, that is for sure true now because he's not doing the same kinds of little things that he used to do. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> My, my final thought on the roster, watch for Yam Madar to get a roster spot on this team next year. He's looking oh, really good in Israel this year. Um, and depending on what he wants, whether he's ready to come to the NBA, uh, I think the Celtics would need to give him a spot. So Israeli Iverson. <laughs> All right, everyone. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko for Josh. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and for supporting Celtics Pride.